Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Your Life is Worth Living, heard here on FM 98.5 CKWR. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining us to listen to a few reflections from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. For over 50 years, Archbishop Sheen captivated audiences on both radio and television. Millions tuned in each week to hear his messages of hope and encouragement. On this week's broadcast, I will share with you a classic recording from 1948 when then Monsignor Sheen gave a reflection on the topic of anxiety. And, you know, all of us suffer from anxiety to some degree or other. And when I think about our good Lord and his words in sacred scripture, he mentioned to us time and time again not to worry about so many things, but to be anxious only about one thing, and that is the state of your mortal soul. So I will let Monsignor Sheen do what he does best, and that is to speak with clarity and charity. And then we will spend the second half of our program tonight uh, reviewing the philosophy of life. And so I would encourage you now to sit back and relax and enjoy one of the greatest communicators of our time, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Today's Catholic Hour speaker is the Right Reverend Monsignor Fulton J. Sheen, Professor of Philosophy at the Catholic University of America, Washington, D.C. Monsignor Sheen continues his series of addresses on the general subject, The Modern Soul in Search of God, with an address entitled, The Basis of Our Anxieties. Monsignor Sheen. Friends, in last Sunday's broadcast, we said that if the modern soul wishes to go to God through the inner self, instead of from nature, that the Christian apologist ought to take him on that road. Today we begin with the fact that one of psychology's favorite descriptions of modern man is that he has an anxiety complex. Psychology is more right than it suspects, and for a more profound reason than it knows. There is no doubt that an increasing number of persons today are afflicted with psychoses, neuroses, complex complexes, fears, anxieties, irritabilities, and ulcers. But modern anxiety is quite different from the anxiety of previous and more normal ages in two ways. In other days, men were anxious about their souls, but modern anxiety is concerned principally with the body. The major worries today are economic security, health, complexion, wealth, social prestige, and biological energies. To read modern advertisements, one would think that the greatest calamity that could befall a human being would be either to have dishpan hands or to have a cough in the T-zone. This overemphasis on corporal security is not healthy and has begotten a generation that is much more concerned about having life belts to wear on a sea journey than about the cabin it will occupy and enjoy. 
And the second characteristic of modern anxiety is that its fears are not objective, but subjective. Fear of objective natural danger, such as lightning, beasts, and famine, is normal. Fear of objective dangers is always part of the human nature. But a subjective anticipated fear of what one believes would be dangerous if it happened is abnormal. Such persons with anxieties become like fish caught in nets and birds trapped in the snare, increasing their own entanglements by the fierceness of their disorderly exertions to overcome them. Modern psychologists have done an admirable service in studying anxieties, both on the level of consciousness and unconsciousness. But anxiety is deeper than they believe, for it appears on all the levels of life. Anxiety may take on new forms in our disordered civilization, but anxiety has always been rooted in the nature of man. There never has been a human being in the history of the world without an anxiety complex. Because anxiety has always existed, we want to find the basic reason for it. The permanent ground of all restlessness, of which the psychological is only a superficial manifestation. The basic reason of all anxiety is due to the fact that man is a composite of body and soul. Standing midway between the animal and the angel, living in a finite world and aspiring toward the infinite, moving in time and seeking the eternal, he is pulled at one moment toward the pleasures of the body and at another moment toward the joys of the spirit. That is why he is anxious. He is in a constant state of suspension between matter and spirit. He may be likened to a mountain climber who aspires to the great peak above. And yet, looking back from his present position, fears falling to the abyss below. This example of the mountain climber, however, is not exact, for he has no helper on the upper peak to which he aspires. Man, however, has. For God on the upper peak of eternity reaches out his omnipotent hand to lift man up even before man raises his voice in plea. It is evident, then, that even though we escaped all of the anxieties of modern economic life, even though we avoided all of the tensions which psychology finds in consciousness and unconsciousness, we would still have that great basic anxiety that is born of our creatureliness. Anxiety stems fundamentally from irregulated desires, from the creature wanting something that is unnecessary for him or contrary to his nature, are positively harmful to his soul. Anxiety increases in direct ratio and proportion as man departs from God. 
in plain, simple language. Every man in the world has an anxiety complex because he has a capacity to be either a sinner or a saint. Let no one ever tell you that your anxiety comes from the fact that your unconscious mind still bears traces of your animal origin. This is untrue, simply because animals left to themselves never have anxieties. They have natural fears, which are good, but no subjective anxiety such as man, unless their frustration is deliberately induced in them by the perverse intelligence of man making experiments. No fox has an anxiety complex about his lair being deeper than that of the Jones fox. Nor do robins ever develop a psychosis about whether they will take a trip for the winter to California or to Florida. An animal can never be less than it is, but a man can, because a man is a composite of spirit and matter. When we see a monkey acting foolishly, we do not say, do not act like a nut. But when we see a man acting foolishly, we do say, do not act like a monkey. Because a man is a spirit as well as matter, he can descend to the level of the beasts. But not so completely as to destroy the image of God in his soul. It is this that makes the peculiar tragedy of man. Crows have no psychoses. Pigs have no neuroses. Chickens are never frustrated. And neither would man ever be frustrated, nor would he have an anxiety complex, nor a despair, if he were only an animal made for this world. It takes eternity to make a man despair. An animal can have only a sick body, but not a sick soul. A psychology which denies the soul is therefore constantly contradicting itself. It calls man an animal, and then proceeds to describe in man an anxiety which no animal has because no animal has a rational soul. Now, since the basic cause of man's anxiety is the possibility of being either a saint or a sinner, it follows that there are only two alternatives. Man can either mount upwards to the peak of eternity or else slip backwards to the chasms of despair and frustration. I know there are some who think there is another alternative, namely indifference. They think that just as bears hibernate for a season in a state of animated suspension, so they can sleep through life without choosing for God or against him. But this is no escape, not only because winter ends and one is forced to make a decision, but because indifference itself is a decision. 
White fences do not remain white fences by doing nothing to them. They soon become black fences. But the mere fact that we do not go forward, we go backward. There are no planes in the spiritual life. We are either going uphill or coming down. And furthermore, the attitude of indifference is only mental. Though a soul does not positively reject the infinite, the infinite rejects him. The talents that are unused are taken away. And God speaks in the scriptures to the broad-minded, indifferent soul, saying, Because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit thee from my mouth. Returning now to the supreme alternatives, how resolve this basic anxiety of life? Either man can make the soul subject to the body or the body subject to the soul. Consider those who resolve the anxiety in favor of godlessness. They invariably end by substituting a false god for the true god of love. Now, this false god can take on three forms. If the god is one's ego, that is the sin of pride. If the god is flesh, that is the sin of lust. If the god is things, that is the sin of avarice. Pride, lust, avarice. The devil, the flesh, and the world. These constitute the new unholy trinity by which man is wooed away from the holy trinity and from the discovery of the goal of life. Now you understand why to compensate for those sins. There exists in religion the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Anxiety and frustration invariably follow when the desires of the heart are centered on any one of these or anything less than God. For then all the pleasures of earth turn out to be the opposite of what was expected. The expectation is joyous. The realization is disgust. Certainly you want to go through life being something else than a contented cow. Consider now that other alternative which overcomes the basic anxiety of life by an act of abandonment in which the body is disciplined and made subject to the spirit and the whole personality is directed to God. If you are interested in enjoying this inner peace, there are three ways to acquire it. First, control your desires. All anxieties and frustrations are due to uncontrolled desires. When a soul does not get what it wants, it falls into sadness and distress. One of the greatest deceptions is the belief that leisure and money are the two essentials of happiness. 
The sad fact of life is that there are no more frustrated people on the face of the earth than those who have nothing to do and those who have too much money for their own good. Work never killed anybody. But worry does. And to conquer anxiety does not mean eliminating desires, but rather arranging them in a kind of hierarchy, as our Lord reminded us in saying that life is more than the raiment. Now this implies not only a renunciation of what is evil, but even a voluntary deprivation of some things that are lawful, in order that the spirit is made free to mount to God. When the sacrifices of our Lord become the inspiration of controlled desires, then the burdens of life are borne not only with renunciation, but are even accepted as providential calls to greater intimacy with him. And secondly, you can overcome your psychic anxieties by transferring concern from your body to your soul. There are two kinds of anxieties. One about time, the other about eternity. Most people are anxious about those very things they should not be anxious about. Our divine Lord in the gospel mentioned at least nine things that we should not worry about. And these are the nine anxieties which keep most people in a state of unrest. The nine anxieties our blessed Lord told us not to worry about were these. Having your body killed. About what you will say in days of persecution when you were called on the carpet before commissars about whether you should build another barn or another skyscraper, about family disputes because you accept the faith, about mother-in-law troubles, about your meals, your drinks, your fashions, your complexion. But he did tell us that we should be very anxious about one thing and one thing only, our soul. Our Lord does not mean that worldly anxieties are unnecessary. He only said that if we are anxious about our souls, the lesser anxieties would dissolve. Seek ye first, he said. Note he did not say not only, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all these things shall be added unto you. Every human being must love the perfect or else he will go crazy because no man is sufficient unto himself. The third way to overcome your anxieties is to trust in God. Love is reciprocal. It is received in proportion as it is given. That is why there is a special providence for those who trust in God. Contrast to children. One child in a happy family was well provided for in the way of food, clothing, and education, the other a homeless orphan of the street. The first child lives in an area of love. The second is outside of that area and therefore enjoys none of the privileges. Many souls deliberately choose to exclude themselves from that area of the Heavenly Father's love where they might live as his children. 
They trust only in their own resources, their own bank account, their own devices. They are very much like a son who, in time of need, never called on his wealthy father for assistance. The result is they lose many of the blessings of those who are relieved from anxieties by thrusting themselves into the loving arms of God. Many favors and blessings are hanging from heaven to relieve our temporal anxieties if we did but cut them down with the sword of our trust in God. And relief from anxiety comes not from giving ourselves to God by halves, but by an all-compassing love, wherein we go back not to our past in fear, not to the future in anxiety, but lie quiet in his hand, having no will but his own. Then the shadows of life are seen, as the poet says, as the shade of his hand, outstretched caressingly. Take a resolution then to make a holy hour a day in meditation. If you are a Catholic, do it in the presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Remember that your unconscious mind is disturbed because your final purpose of life is not yet decided. And during that hour of meditation, decide why you are living, where you are going, and then you won't have anxieties in your unconscious mind. If there were anywhere on earth a resting place other than God, you may be sure that your soul in its long history would have found it out before this. As St. Augustine said, our hearts were made for thee, and they are restless until they rest in thee, O God. Why stand ye then at the gate of indecision? Has your heart lost its wings? while each plant makes haste to make good the promise of the bud. Hear ye the Savior's question, why are you anxious? Tis God who woos your anxious, restless heart. And if you have an anxiety complex, it is because you are not yet divinely embraced. Tis want of courage not to yield. Be not death's prey before you be love's prize. Let the fortress of thyself be taken, and then your ego being undone, you will be an uncaught captive in the hands of love. God love you. You have just heard the Right Reverend Monsignor Fulton J. Sheen deliver an address entitled The Basis of Our Anxieties. A copy of this address is yours for the asking. Please write to the National Council of Catholic Men, Washington 5, D.C., or to your favorite NBC station. And now we invite you, our listeners, to join Monsignor Sheen as he offers this prayer. O God, from whom to turn is to fall, toward whom to turn is to rise again. 
in whom to dwell is to find peace. God whom no one loses unless he be deceived, whom no one seeks unless he has been called, whom no one finds unless he is made pure, God whom to forsake is to perish, whom to search for is the same to love, whom to see is the same as to possess. God toward whom faith urges us, toward whom hope raises us, toward whom charity unites us, God in whom and by whom and through whom alone we can be happy, it is to thee we address our prayer. We beseech thee, hear us. Catholic Hour program, you heard an address by the Right Reverend Monsignor Fulton J. Sheen, entitled, The Basis of Our Anxieties. A copy of the address may be obtained by writing to the National Council of Catholic Men, Washington 5, D.C., or to the NBC station to which you are now listening. Next week, Monsignor Sheen will give the third in this series of addresses, and we cordially invite you to join us then. The music on today's program was provided by an octet from the Redemptorist Father's Church of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, Brooklyn, New York. Mr. Richard Swendy was the conductor. Mr. James Phillips Johnston was at the organ. Your announcer is John Patrick Costello. Monday evening to you all. You're listening to FM 98.5 CKWR. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me for this hour of reflection from the venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. That classic recording from 1948 uh, spoke about anxiety, and uh, what I remember vividly, of course, is how he listed those nine things not to be anxious about and the only one thing that you should really, really worry about, and that is the state of your immortal soul. Uh, but he did it so beautifully and gently. And, uh, you know, I didn't mind the choir. It's uh, one of these things sometimes, uh, these octets, uh, again, you just wonder how they'll sound, but there was good harmonies there, and I did enjoy their reflection. So, again, that's what five million people tuned in to each week. And uh, the draw that Bishop Sheen had uh, back then, and he was the Right Reverend Monsignor Sheen, Uh, then in 1951 he became a bishop. So I apologize time and time again. I I call 
Fulton Sheen by so many different titles throughout the show. I'll call him Bishop Sheen, Archbishop Sheen, Father Sheen, Monsignor Sheen. Like, again, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen is his title that we use, but uh, he's referred to by many names, but still the same effect. Uh, he spoke the truth. So we will be sharing a number of these class recordings over the next few weeks. Um, of course, I want to share with you today a little bit about uh, the philosophy of life. And it's very important. What is our philosophy of life? But I just want to kind of clarify. I know there was an address that was given at the end of that recording uh, about New York and the NBC studios. But again, those are long gone. So... Uh, the only address you really need to know is FM 98.5 CKWR. We always need your cards, your letters, your donations. Uh, again, you have helped us so dearly over the years. And so uh, we are a listener-supported radio station, and we rely on divine providence to some degree. Uh, we do have a few advertisers that sponsor some, uh, I guess, uh, radio broadcasts from time to time. And, of course, you'll hear the odd commercial on our station, but uh, again, uh, it is through your generosity that we continue to share this quality program. And so our mailing address is 1446 King Street East in Kitchener, Ontario. Our postal code is N2G2N7, and our phone number through the week is area code 519-886-9870, or you can call us toll-free at one 800 Seven five seven ten fifty. If you ever want to email me, it's uh, simply Bishop Fulton J Sheen at gmail dot com. And everybody has a Gmail address these days, but mine is Bishop Fulton J Sheen at gmail dot com. Or you can find me on my website Bishop Sheen Today dot com because I really feel that we need Bishop Sheen today. And so uh, you will see on that website. I have a hundred YouTube videos so you can watch the television shows time and time again. I have about 60 free downloadable books. And everybody loves to read Bishop Shane, and I made it as simple as I could. I tried to make it free. <laughs> everybody loves free. And so there are those titles there for you to download. Um, and there is five years of archive programs of all our recordings here from FM 98.5 CKWR. So uh, if you want to listen to Sheen, read Sheen, or watch Sheen, uh, visit, again, my website, bishopsheentoday.com. And uh, you'll be glad you did. Okay, so let's get back now to some uh, more Bishop Sheen recordings. Uh, this is the first recording from his 50-part catechism series uh, that he put to vinyl many years ago. Uh, Bishop Sheen wanted to leave behind uh, an instruction manual of how to learn the faith, uh, you know, how to think wisely. And uh, so there's topic after topic that he will share with us over the next few weeks, and these are uh, the lessons of life and uh, trying to make sense of all this. And so the first recording is entitled The Philosophy of Life. So if you have a good philosophy, you're going to have a good life. So pretty simple. So I'd encourage you once again now just to enjoy this, sit back, relax, and uh, be enlightened by the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Peace be to you. This is Bishop Fulton J. Sheen talking. 
And this will be the beginning of over 24 hours of talking. Women are accused of doing all the talking. This is to prove that men do their share. I remember some years coming back from Europe, and a steward came out on the deck of the ship, and he said, are you the Bishop Sheen who gave the mission sermon at St. Patrick's Cathedral two years ago? Yes. He said, that was a wonderful sermon. I enjoyed every minute of that hour and a half. I said, my good man, I never talked an hour and a half in my life. Well, he said, it seemed that long to me. Now, this will well be over that hour and a half. And we have had alternatives in making these discs. One alternative would be to write out everything that I was going to say to you and then read it to you. The other alternative would be to study, to meditate, and then to talk out of the fullness of my heart without notes. That is the way that I have chosen to do. Now, this second method has many imperfections about it. There will be faults, there will be mistakes. I will miss a word here and there. And I am absolutely sure that there will come a moment in your life and in listening to these records that you had wished that I had read it. You will be somewhat in the position that God must have been in when he made Adam. He looked at Adam and then said, I could do better than that. And then he made Eve. But we've chosen this method of the open discourse in order that we might commune and have an encounter one with another. And the subject, in general, will be the philosophy of life. Now, where begin? Well, there are two ways of waking up in the morning. One is to say, Good morning, God. And the other is to say, good God, morning. We are going to start with a second. We will start a long way back. And people who wake up that way have an anxiety about life. I suppose their life might be characterized in two ways. First of all, to them it seems rather absurd. And considerable literature is being produced today on the absurdity of life. I suppose one of the best expressions of that absurdity was a novel about a city on the other side of the river. 
And in this particular novel, there were two factories. One factory was on one side of the river, and the other factory on the other side. And the factory on one side of the river took great big stones and smashed and grounded them to powder. Then, when the stones were reduced to powder, they shipped the powder to the other side of the river where there was another factory that turned them into great big boulders. Then the boulders were sent back to the first factory, and so the routine continued. This was to be a literary expression of the way people today regard life. One finds this absurdity often, too expressed in the writings of an existentialist who pictured three people in hell. Each one wanted to talk about himself, his own aches, his own pains, and the others were not interested. They were concerned only with their own aches and pains. And finally, when the curtain goes down, the last line of the play is, my neighbor is hell. Now, this is the way some people live. And along with this sense of absurdity, there is also a drift. Many minds are like old man rivers. They just keep floating along. No goal. Just a kind of a, an arrow without a target, pilgrims without a shrine, journeys at sea without any kind of a port. Now, what is the common conclusion of people who wake up and say this? Good God morning. I think the common characteristic of them all is life has no meaning. It is without purpose, without goal, without destiny. I remember when I first went to Europe to study as a young priest. I was following courses during the summer at the Sorbonne in Paris principally in order to learn French. And I dwelt in a boarding house that belonged to a certain woman whom we will call Madame Citron. I was there about a week. And she came to me and said something, but it was all French to me. You get so angry in Paris because the dogs and the horses understand French, and you don't. Well, there were three women school teachers that were living in the boarding house from Boston, and I asked them to act as an interpreter, and this was the story that came out. She said that after her marriage, 
Her husband had left her. A daughter that was born to them became a moral wreck in the streets of Paris. And then she pulled out of her pocket a small vial of poison. She said, I do not believe in God. Sometimes the thought comes to me that there is a God. And then in case there be one, I curse it. So I've decided simply because life has no meaning and is absurd to do away with it. I intend to take this tonight. Can you do anything for me? Well, through the interpreter, I said, I can't if you're going to take that stuff. So I asked her to postpone her suicide for nine days. I think it's the only case on record of a woman postponing a suicide for nine days. But I never prayed before in my life as I prayed for that woman. And on the ninth day, the good Lord gave her great grace. Some years later, on the way to Lourdes, I stopped off at the city of Docks, where I enjoyed the hospitality of the Sieur Madame et Mademoiselle Citron. And I said to the village curé, are the Citrons good Catholics? Oh, he said, it's wonderful when people keep the faith all during their lives. He did not know the story. So it's possible to find one's way out of this absurdity. But now let's come to a question which interests all psychiatrists and interests all of us. What is the difference between a normal and an abnormal person? The difference is this. A normal person always works toward a goal or a purpose. The abnormal person looks for escape mechanisms, excuses, rationalizations in order to avoid discovering the meaning and purpose of life. That is the difference. The normal person sets for himself a target. For example, in this life, a young man might want to be a doctor or a lawyer. But beyond that, there's something else. Suppose you ask, what do you want to do after you become a doctor? Well, I want to marry, and then raise children, and then be happy, and then make money, give money to my children, and then there comes the last, and then. The normal person knows what that and then is. The abnormal person, however, is locked up within the barrel of his own ego. He's like an egg. He's never been hatched. He refuses to submit himself to a certain amount of divine incubation in order to arrive at a different life than he has. Now, what are some of the escapes of the abnormal person? Because that's the way he spends his time. If he wants to go, for example, from New York to Washington, 
He isn't concerned about Washington. He's concerned about giving excuses why he doesn't go to Washington. Now, just to mention a few of these escape mechanisms of the abnormal person. One, love of speed. I believe that an excessive love of speed, or should I say, a love of excessive speed, is due to a want of a goal or purpose in life. So they do not know where they're going, but they certainly are on their way. And there may even be an unconscious or half conscious desire to end life because it is without purpose. Another escape would be uh, sex, throwing oneself into business in an abnormal kind of way in order to have the intensity of an experience atone for a want of goal or purpose. One of the very famous psychiatrists, Dr. Young, said that after 25 years of experience of dealing with mental patients, I would say that at least one-third of my patients had no observable clinical neurosis. But all of them were suffering from a want of the meaning and purpose of life. And not until they discover that will they ever be happy. In other words, the vast majority of people today are suffering from what might be called an existential neurosis. The anxiety and the problem of living. The answering of the question, what is it all about? Where do I go from here? Now, how find it? I know what you're thinking. Now you're thinking, now he's going to tell us to get down on our knees and pray to God. No, I'm not. I may say that a little later on, but I'm not going to tell you that now. And why? Because people who have an existential neurosis are too far away from that for the moment. I'm offering two solutions. First, Go out and help your neighbor. Those who suffer from an anxiety of life do so because they live only for themselves. Their mind, their heart, each has been dammed up. And all of the scum of the river of life 
makes of the heart and mind kind of a garbage. And the easiest way out of this is to love people whom you see. If we do not love those whom we see, how can we love God whom we do not see? Visit the sick. Be kind to the poor. Help the healing of lepers. Find your neighbor. And the neighbor is someone in need. Once you do this, you begin to break out of the shell. You discover that your neighbor is not hell, as Sartre said. That your neighbor is part of yourself and is a creature of God. Not very long ago, there was a father brought to me his young son, a very self-wise, conceited, young delinquent, who had given up his faith and was bitter with himself and everyone whom he met. The next day, the boy ran away from home. He was away from home for a year. The boy came back as bad as ever. And the father brought him to me and said, what shall I do with him? I said, send him to school, but not in the United States. So I recommended another school. I do not write and ask me what that school was. I recommended a certain school to him. And about a year later, the boy came back to see me. He said, would you be willing to give me moral support for an enterprise that I have undertaken in Mexico? He said, there's a group of boys in the college where I am who have built a little school. And we have gone all around the neighborhood and brought in the children to teach them catechism. We have also brought in a doctor from the United States once a year and for one month to take care of all of the sick people of the neighborhood. And I said, how did you become interested in this? Well, he said, the boys went down there during the summer, and I thought I would go down too. And he recovered his faith and his morals and everything else in his neighbor. It is the poor, the injured, the needy, sick, fellow creatures of God, who give to us great strength. Some years ago, there was a, an Indian who went into Tibet. He went in to do 
a little evangelizing of that non-Christian country. And he took with him a Tibetan guide. In the course of the trip, they got very cold crossing the foothills of the Himalayas. They sat down, exhausted, almost frozen. And this Indian, whose name was Singh, said, I think I hear a man moaning down there in the abyss. And the Tibetan said, well, he said, you're almost dead yourself. You can't help him. And Singh said, yes, I will help him. So he went down, dragged the man out from the abyss the best he could and carried him to the nearby village and came back completely revived. Revived by that act of charity. And when he came back, he found his friend who refused to aid the neighbor frozen to death. So the first way to escape the anxiety of life is to find your neighbor. The second way is to leave yourself open to experiences and encounters with the divine which will come to you from without. I say leave yourself open. Your eye does not have light. Your ear has no sound or harmony. Food of your stomach comes from without. Your mind has been talked. Your radio pulls in unseen waves from the outside. Therefore, allow this hole in your head, this hole in your heart. Receive certain impulses that come from without. It will perfect you. No matter how far away you be from what I'm talking about, they will still come. I remember once inviting a woman to see me who had just lost her 18-year-old daughter. She was very rebellious, had no faith whatever. And she said, I want to talk about God. I said, all right, I will talk about him for five minutes, and then you talk about him or against him for 45, and then we will have a discussion. Well, I was talking about two minutes, and she interrupted me. She stuck her finger under my nose and she said, listen, if God is good, why did he take my daughter? I said, in order that you might be here. Learning something about the purpose and meaning of life. And that is what she learned. She found it. She discovered it. So I am suggesting that you will not just reason yourself into the meaning and purpose of life. You will act yourself into the meaning and purpose of life by breaking the shell of egotism and selfishness, by cleaning the windows 
the moral life and allowing the sunshine to come in. You would not be seeking God if you had not already in some way found him. You are a king in exile. You have a kingdom. I'll tell you more about it later on. God bless. Good Monday evening to you all. You're listening to FM 98.5 CKWR. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me for this hour of reflection from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. I hope you learned a great deal about anxiety today and how to cope with anxiety and also about your philosophy of life. I love how he began that little lesson on the philosophy of life by asking that important question, do you say, good morning, God, or do you say, good God, morning? I hope it's the first uh, in that every day you wake up and say, good morning, God. And so I just want to wish you a good evening and thank you again for joining me. And I'd ask you to bring a friend next week. And I want to thank uh, my good friend Anthony uh, from FultonSheen.com. This is the group that has remastered a lot of these recordings and cleaned them up. And uh, they have a beautiful website, uh, www.FultonSheen.com. And uh, there's well over 300 recordings. There's the free uh, phone app uh, for your uh, iPhone or Android device. Uh, You can download uh, many, many of his recordings. Uh, I think he is by far uh, the most reasonable person on the whole Internet when it comes to pricing. I think you can download the whole audio collection for $27, like that's pennies per recording. And that way you'll have it for yourself. You'll be able to take it with you. I know I downloaded it. probably about seven years ago, the collection, and I have it on every one of my computers. I have it on my cell phone. I uh, made a copy for my, um, I want to say my car, in that I have the old CD players, but I will burn a few CDs and listen to them when I travel uh, down the highway. So uh, it's amazing what you can do, and you need to fill your mind with good things. And so again, that website, FultonSheen.com. Uh, Not to be confused with my website, bishopsheentoday.com, but uh, again, you need a good library. So we want to give you the best advice we can. And so until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. (laughs) 